A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. There's probably a a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but... God is in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. My mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God's by faith in his son. Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3.17, that's all. Victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. And- right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name. Get out here right now. So put your trust in the sovereign risen king Who doesn't owe you one cotton picking thing And yet he still promises to furnish his disciples But we take what he's created and we turn him into idols I'll never back down, so how can I keep it in? But you'll never see me preaching the sin of TBM Yeah, spirit and truth is worship viewed in this chemistry But, but some are spewing distorted views of the Trinity Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of The Master's Dog. I am your host, The Evangelical Norm. The Master's Dog is a podcast I do uh, addressing theological issues uh, strictly um, dealing with uh, false religions, false teachers, and so on. So uh, it started with me doing uh, videos in uh, refuting the... Well, they used to be the three Mormons. Now they're Saints Unscripted. Uh, They have a section of their podcast called Faith and Beliefs. They started talking about the LDS articles of faith. And so with each episode they did, I said I will respond. And um, since then, I have expanded it to dealing with, with other false teachers and so on. So it's not just dealing with the Mormons is mainly uh, centered around uh, the false teachings of Mormonism because I still do respond to every one of the Faith and Beliefs um, episodes. And then I'll respond to Kwaku or other things, but I am expanding into other false teachers. Uh, We'll talk from time to time about Osteen or Furtick or Perry Noble or any of those guys who are uh, heretical or just really bad 
theology uh, and so on so that is the premise of the master's dog this episode episode 14 we are back to uh refuting the faith and beliefs uh segment of the saints unscripted podcast so today david is going to be talking a little bit about the different accounts of joseph smith's first vision and he essentially is going to try to convince you that there's not a problem with uh the not even necessarily contradicting but um uh different accounts i mean obvious just outright there the all the accounts are different the story changed from from one place to another and he's going to try to to harmonize that a little bit and convince you that it's it's not really a big deal when really it is a big deal so we'll go ahead and jump into it we'll let uh this go and as always we'll let it play and then stop and talk about it as we need to so here you go uh saints unscripted faith and beliefs if latter-day saint missionaries have ever chatted with you about our faith they've probably told you about the prophet joseph smith and the vision he had of god the father and jesus christ in the spring of 1820 we refer to this experience as Joseph Smith's first vision, and you can read what Joseph Smith said about it in our scriptures. But this recollection of the vision is not the only one. There are basically four first vision accounts that Joseph either wrote himself or that were recorded by a scribe. But here's the catch. While the gist of each record is essentially the same, there is some variation when it comes to the details. And to some believers and non-believers, that's a little concerning. Something screwy here. If Joseph is telling the truth, shouldn't every record of his first vision be the same? Well, let's take a look. Okay, before we take a look, one thing that has to be noted is there is more than four versions of the first vision that are floating around. There's actually about nine of them. Nine different variants of what Joseph Smith said and claimed to be the first vision he had, which caused him to uh, restore restore the uh the mormon gospel so i think the non-latter-day saint author stephen prothero said it best critics of mormonism have delighted in the discrepancies between the canonical account and earlier renditions such complaints however are much ado about relatively nothing any good lawyer or historian would expect to find contradictions or competing narratives written down years apart and decades after the event. And despite the contradictions, key elements abide. Okay, I could agree with this statement if it wasn't such a um, epic event. This is supposedly Joseph Smith seeing God the Father and Jesus Christ together in one place magically hovering over him delivering him from oppressive evil and explain, explaining to him that every religion in the world is is a fraud now granted I, if i tell a story about you know my daughter at the splash pad 3 weeks ago over time and so on, some of the, the details are going to muddy and, and get 
uh, you know, forgotten or things left out here and there, even though it could be an amazingly funny event or something or amazing event that she did, um, you know, feat of, of, uh, acrobatics that no child could ever, you know, of her age could do right over time that would, but my testimony of when I was saved, when God saved me, I tell, I can tell that story, been telling that story years and years and years. And it does not change because the impact of that was so huge and the, the magnitude of that event is burned into my mind. So this statement to say it's relatively, it's much ado about relatively nothing is, is false when it's dealing with this particular statement. This isn't a, supposed to be a situation where God himself appeared to Joseph Smith. This should, that, that alone should be one point of this story that never changes, but it does. The first record we have of the first vision was written by Joseph Smith and Frederick G. Williams, probably in the summer of 1832, which would be like 12 years after the event actually happened. Now this leads me to an important point about Joseph Smith. He was not a fan of writing. He called it a little narrow prison. His own wife said he wasn't good at it. Even most of Joseph Smith's personal journal was written down by a scribe. Anyway, the 1832 version is short. Frederick wrote that Joseph was 16 at the time. A pillar of fire or light rests upon him. Joseph is filled with the Spirit of God and wrote, The Lord opened the heavens upon me, and I saw the Lord. The Lord forgives him of his sins and says the world has strayed from the gospel. Next, we have the 1835 account. Now, this is an interesting one. A guy who introduces himself as Joshua, the Jewish minister, meets with Joseph, and Joseph tells him about his vision. Meanwhile, Joseph's scribe, Warren Parrish, is writing everything down. In this retelling, Joseph says he's about 14 years old at the time of the vision. He talks about an encounter with evil he had just before the vision. There's the pillar of light. Two personages appear to him. Once again, his sins are forgiven. He's told that Jesus is the Christ, and he sees many angels in this vision. Next, we have the 1838 version. This is the one canonized in the Pearl of Great Price. It was written for a general audience for the purpose of being published. He gives more detail in this account than any others. He talks about the encounter with evil, the pillar of light, God the Father, and Jesus Christ. His sins are forgiven, and he's told the world has strayed from the gospel, but no mention of seeing any other angels in his vision. The last version is from an 1842 letter to a newspaper editor named John Wentworth. We're not sure if Joseph actually wrote this account, but in any case, he signed off on it. We also know that this account borrows a lot of language used by an apostle named Orson Pratt in a pamphlet published about Joseph Smith in 1840 in Scotland. So it's not wholly an original retelling. But in this version, he once again sees two personages surrounded by brilliant light. He's told not to join any church and that the fullness of the gospel would soon be revealed to him. He omits his encounter with evil here, doesn't talk about other angels or his sins being forgiven. If you want to read any of these different accounts, check out the links in the description. The church has published all of them. Keep in mind, though, that there's a difference between contradictions and omissions. For example, according to the 1832 account, Joseph was 15 or 16 years old. In other accounts, he's 14. Obviously, yes, 
that's a contradiction. You can't be 14 and 16 at the same time. Somebody is obviously mistaken here. But omissions are different. Just because Joseph talks about seeing angels in one account but doesn't mention them in another doesn't mean they weren't there. It just means he didn't talk about them. In the short 1832 account, this is up for debate, but it appears Joseph only talks about seeing one personage, Jesus Christ. In the other accounts, he talks about two personages, God the Father and Jesus Christ. But just because he doesn't mention God the Father in the 1832 account doesn't mean God the Father wasn't there. And Okay, but see here, here again, that is an omission that is huge. That, you know, as he talks about these other things and, and contradictions, I like the word discrepancy better because, again, it's not so much that it's contradicting itself, but um, there are discrepancies. And to leave out God the Father, the, the whole issue, I mean, this is one of the key points of, of differentiating Mormonism from every other religion is that they don't believe, or well, not every other religion, but the majority, all every all the other uh, Protestant uh, religions, we'll, we'll put it that way, Protestant denominations, uh, the not believing in the Trinity, believing in uh, essentially um, polytheism, more than one God, and and so on. So this is it's it's a point that oh well he just didn't mention him. How can you not mention him? It's a key portion of this story, um, and so again. That I would say that is a huge omission to just leave that out. Considering God the Father's minimal role in even the most detailed account, I'm not bothered Joseph doesn't mention him in the short 1832 account. In the 1832 account, Joseph is worried about his sins. In the 1842 account, he's worried about which church he's going to join. So which is it? Well, the 1835 account harmonizes both of these motivations. In summary, antagonists of Joseph Smith believe these differences are evidence that he just made the whole thing up. And you're certainly free to believe that if you wish. Personally, I agree with Professor Prothero. It's much ado about nothing. I think this is just a case of a guy telling a multifaceted and deeply personal story to different people, for different purposes, in different contexts, and in different decades. Interestingly, as kind of a brief aside, we see the same kind of differences in the multiple accounts of Paul's vision of the Savior on the road to Damascus. As contexts change, Paul presents his story slightly differently. And that's fine. As Prothero said, it's to be expected. Now, if you want to dive deeper into Paul's accounts, I'll leave a link in the description so you can do that. But the point is, if you don't have a problem with Paul, you shouldn't have a problem with Joseph. Check out the links in the description. Check out our... And that's not necessarily true. The fact that... That, okay, there are some, some variations in, in Paul's telling. Now we have to bring in the rest of the story. There are up to nine different uh, versions of the, the first vision. Some talk about not seeing Jesus or the Father, but just seeing an angel. Um, some of them name him as Nephi. Some accounts it's in his bedroom. Some it's in the, the grove and so on. So what we have here is we have... Again, you have one person who is telling multiple stories, um, none of which are there any witnesses to. He is the only witness to any of these events. Paul's story on, on the road to Damascus, there were people who witnessed what happened to him. 
um, being knocked off the horse, a light, hearing some was like thunder or whatever. But there were witnesses to what happened to Paul. Everything Joseph Smith supposedly did and happened was all just him. He's the only one that we can go to to see. And his story changes multiple times from just an angel to just the Lord to God and the Lord to God the Lord and a multitude of angels. It is very significant that you have so many discrepancies among the retellings of the story. Because again, this is supposedly a prophet of God. Now, God managed to maintain his written word over centuries upon centuries to provide us with the word of God that we have today, which is is very, very uh, closely accurate to what the original was. Now, again, given a few discrepancies here and there, but within a much shorter time frame, you have all these different discrepancies from Joseph Smith that tend to change as his theology obviously changed. I mean, I believe that Joseph went from being a believer in the Trinity to to modifying his belief to becoming a polytheist, um, believing in more than one God and that God himself is not even God, um, wasn't God from everlasting to everlasting. So the vision changed as Joseph's theology changed and his retelling of the vision. And so... It's very significant and it's very um, troublesome for the uh, the LDS people, and it is very um, it it casts uh, doubt upon the credibility of Joseph Smith being a prophet of God. I mean, you would think that again, Joseph, if he claimed to be a prophet, that God would who claimed to speak to God more than one time, multiple times. He claimed to have these conversations with God and God was giving him revelation and so on. You would think that God would help him to remember this this key event that, that started all of it, that he would remember it to the point where there would be no doubt. You know, and, and again, you see as you watch these videos, the little things that they sneak in there, the little funny movie clips and stuff like that, which are intended to make these things seem ridiculous to you. It is it's a it's a tactic that is used to make you go, well, you know, that's kind of funny. And over and over you hear last week and this week, well, it doesn't bother me that this is. Well, it should, David. It really should bother you. It should bother you that the man who claimed to be your prophet from the beginning, who claimed to be the the key prophet in restoring this everlasting gospel that is ever ever changing can't remember to to give the 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 core central first vision of his encounter with god accurately and i mean and again there are some big discrepancies was it an angel named nephi or an angel or just an angel, an unnamed angel? Was it just the Lord? Was it the Lord and the Father? All these things that changed and, and continue to change, though they're huge. This is, this is by no means just any small little, oh, well, a couple of omissions here and there. This is a, a huge issue, and it, it, it brings a ton of doubt on Joseph Smith's uh, prophethood, if you will. 
And so, again, it's something that you really got to think about. I encourage you, if you're LDS or an investigator uh, and you're watching this, go look. Just Google the first vision of Joseph Smith, and you'll find the different places where they you can find up to nine different versions of the, the first vision that, that span um, a, a probably from 1827, so a approximately 30 years of of this story being told um from 1827 to 1859 uh you can find these stories and you can see the the major discrepancies in there christian friends if you're watching this and you're you're looking for ways to um to to share truth with your with your mormon co-worker neighbor or whatever all these things are great. To know this information is fantastic. But key to uh, witnessing to our Mormon friends has got to be still focusing on the gospel. Just on the fact that we're all sinners uh, deserving of hell. And God came in the flesh uh, as Christ incarnate um, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That's what we want to share with our Mormon friends is the gospel. And as always, we want to preach the gospel at all times. And we have to use words because they are necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm-hmm.